Good morning, Hope City Church. Good morning. So please stand for our scripture reading today. It will be um, Psalm 13. If you are reading out of the church Bible, it is on page 457. So. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. You may be seated. Thank you, Ella. Got the whole Green family involved today. <laughs> hey, we're glad you're here. And uh, we have been spending the last few weeks um, talking about feelings and emotions, uh, specifically about grief and, and sadness and how Christians grieve. And today is the, the final message in that. Um, this is the fourth week. This is a series we've been calling Dark Clouds, uh, Deep Mercy. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, based on the book by the same title. Uh, talking about Christian grief, there's a name for this. It's called lament. Lamenting or lament. There's a book in the Bible called Lamentations based on that word. But it is something that is exclusive to people of faith, that all human beings can grieve, but only Christians can lament. And the, reasons that on, the reason only Christians can lament is because we are grieving and have hope. We are sad, but still trusting in God. And this is not just us being sad. It's us being sad or grieving and also trusting that God is good and doing something beautiful that we can't understand. We're not talking about silver lining. We're not talking about platitudes. We're not talking about some fake Christian optimism, denial. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about real feelings, real emotions, real sadness, real anger, real fear. And real trust and real hope. And so that's what we have been talking about. And there's a way that you lament. It's not just a, a subjective thing. It's a very objective thing. The Bible shows us and models for us how we lament. And that's what this series has been. The first part of lament is turning to God. We want to turn to God more than we want to turn to social media or our friends or our family members or our boss to, to vent we want to turn to God. God should be the person that we talk to the most and first about what it is that we're feeling. And then part two, a second step, if you will, they don't run, you know, consecutively. They, they all get mixed together. But the second part is complaining to God. We want to complain to God, which may sound odd to you depending on your religious background, but we want to, it's okay to complain to God, to tell God exactly how we're feeling. And the same way that children say to their parents, that's not fair, that's not fair, that's not fair. We go to our Heavenly Father in life and we say, God, that's not fair. And we say, how long? We ask how long and, and why, these types of things. And, but we don't want to just stay at complaining. We want to eventually ask God for what it is that we're needing and what we need, want Him to do. We talked about that last week. And then this final week is about trusting God. We want to trust God. I'm going to trust God. And this is not easy. 
It's not easy to trust God because everything emotionally is working against us in this, the, these, these moments in life where we want to trust God, but we feel as if we can't or we, we're, we're doubting him for, for all, you know, all kinds of different reasons. And I, I've, I told you, I've, I've mentioned before uh, lately that I have been reading this biography by uh, or about Diedrich Bonhoeffer. If you're not familiar with Bonhoeffer, he was a, a pastor and a theologian, a German pastor theologian who, um, you know, did not uh, submit to Hitler. He resisted and rejected the, the Reich. And so he was arrested. And eventually, after 18 months in prison, he was uh, killed. And so I've been reading this biography, and, and the last chapter is about the last two years of his life, 18 months in prison. And I read the prayers, some of the prayers that he was praying while he was in prison. He was generally an optimistic guy. Um, but the first few weeks in the prison were very disorienting, and he experienced great despair. And uh, for the first few uh, months, he was in solitary confinement. He wasn't allowed to have a pen or paper or his Bible. And so he would pray these prayers that he had memorized to heart, mainly from the Psalms. And I was reading um, some of this this week, and it just was so fitting for, for where we're headed in this message today. But I want to just read these to you. These were uh, prayers that Bonhoeffer prayed these first few weeks and months in the prison. Uh, He said, I am lonely, but you do not abandon me. I am restless, but with you there is peace. Other times he prayed, God, I thank you that you have brought this day to an end. I thought that was so great that when life is so bad that you don't know what to pray, you could at least pray, God, thank you that the day is over. (laughs) You know, like we want to adopt that one, just grab a hold of that one. Like, thank you that the day is over. What a, what a great prayer um, for that. But he would talk about how he would, um, he would be in his prison cell at night, be pitch black, the lights would be out, and he would listen to these grown men sobbing in their cells, knowing that they were probably going to die. Now, these were not the concentration camps. These were the prison cells. These were people who had been arrested for, you know, whatever crime had happened. And so they... They're sobbing, and he became kind of the pastor of the prisoners, so to speak. Um, He would, when he could find the opportunity, when they were allowed outside, he would serve communion. They would ask Pastor Bonhoeffer to pray that there would be no bombs that would fall around the prison that night, and um, he would silently pray for the men, for the salvation. He would actually write letters of prayers for their salvation, but he was not allowed to give them to them. So he would mail them to his parents, and then his parents would mail them to the jail to be given to the prisoners. He, he desperately wanted to pray for their peace and their hope, but in himself, he was struggling. And he would pray, I'm lonely, but you do not abandon me. I'm restless, but with you there is peace. He would quote these Psalms. And it was so fitting because what he's doing in these prayers is he's being honest about how he's feeling but he's still trusting God. And the way he's doing that is with that bridge, that word that we talked about last week, but, but this is what feels true, even though it's maybe not true. It's valid, but not true. But this bridge that we need to get from honest complaint to to trusting and confidence is, is, but it's, but it's what we know to be, um, to be true. So the question all week that was just kind of 
rolling around in my head is, how do you trust God while sitting in one of Hitler's prisons, depressed and afraid? And no, by no means am I trying to minimize um, what we're going through because everybody's struggle is personal to them. But you're sitting in a, in a pitch black prison cell at one of Hitler's prisons. Uh, for the first year, he thought he may get out. Then it dawned on him he wasn't going to get out. He was going to die. How do you trust God? And how do you have enough trust in God to then try to actually kind of impart hope and faith and optimism to the people around you? How do you do that? Um, that's what I want to talk about. And if you will allow me just a moment to, to kind of recap, because I know there's several people here because of baptisms that haven't been a part of this series. If you just give me just a moment to recap kind of how we got to this point. And really the foundational piece is that um, as human beings, we all experience, no matter how emotional you believe you are or claim that you are, as human beings, we all experience seven primary emotions every day. Four negative, two positive, and one neutral. They're going to put it up on the screen for you to see. But the four negative emotions that you experience every day is fear, anger, sadness, and disgust. The positive emotions you experience are joy and excitement, and the negative, or the neutral is surprise. Positively or negatively, you could be surprised. And what we've been trying to do throughout this series is to give permission and a vocabulary, because I believe that church should be the place, should be a place where we can be honest or should be able to not only be honest about what we're feeling, but process those with our brothers and sisters. But in order to do that, we have to have a vocabulary beyond fine or frustrated. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Frustrated. Or the third bonus is like, that's funny. It's kind of funny. So fine, frustrated, or funny. Like we got we to gotta be able to get a little bit beyond that look within our souls and and be able to articulate what it is that we're feeling. And what we're feeling are these primary emotions. The challenge for us is that we were probably raised in an environment where if you kind of grabbed a hold of these words, you were considered to be a little too much or too high maintenance or too emotional, or you need to get together, you need to move on. And so if I were to say to you, are you afraid? You say, I'm not afraid. I'm just, you know, a little unsure, you know, or worried. Or if I say, are you angry? You say, I'm not angry. I'm a little upset. Or if you say, well, are you sad? You say, well, I'm really sad. I'm just a little emotional, right? But the reality is that anytime anything feels uncertain in your life, you are afraid. Anytime something feels unfair, you are angry. Anytime something is a loss, you are sad. It's okay to say those things. And, and it's beneficial for you to understand what's happening to you. And in the spectrum, could, it could be a wide-ranging spectrum. You could be angry because your kid's not playing enough in a seven-year-old soccer game. That feels unfair. But you could also be angry because there's injustice in the world and racism and uh, sex trafficking. and all. It, 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 it could be any of, along the spectrum, but if it feels unfair to you or if it feels uncertain or it feels like loss, then you are experiencing these emotions. And it is not only okay, but appropriate. It should be something of a practice for us to be able to say to God, God, I am afraid. God, I am angry. God, I am sad. To be able to say to the people that we love, we're angry and sad and afraid. And the last 20 months, we have had so many things that have caused us to deal with all of these emotions, with the COVID and the quarantine and political unrest and all of these things. We've lost routine and time and certainty. We've lost people we love. And as a church, we've dealt with so much. We've closed down a campus in Shepherdsville and a coffee shop. We've lost people that we love from our church family, some by choice and some by death. And all of these things have been happening, not to mention all the particular things in your life that we're not even bringing up. We have experienced so many emotions. 
And what we don't want to do is lie about it. What we don't want to do is paint some kind of, you know, Christian face on it that says, hey, no, I'm blessed, highly favored. Don't worry about it. God's working for good. It's no big deal. Those things are true. You are blessed. You are favored. God is working for your good, but you don't mean that. You don't mean it because the only way to really mean it is to work through it, to realize and to process your emotions and then truly, truly trust that you are blessed and favored and God is working for good. But we don't want to use those as platitudes. We want to mean them because we have worked through and processed what it is, what it is that we are feeling. And what we want to eventually get to is we want to get to trust. We want to trust God when it feels like we have no reason to. And I think our biggest challenge with trusting God is that um, our emotions are working against us. And we typically think of trust as a feeling. We think of trust as a feeling. If I were to ask you today, do you trust, so it's not I name somebody, you would feel a little bit powerless or helpless. You would feel like the decision has been made for you. Like, well, they're a trustworthy person or they're not, right? Or they did something and they lost trust or they didn't do something and they've gained trust. And it feels like trust is this abstract kind of thing that is out there, but it's not a choice that we make. It's a feeling that we have that's made for us in some way. But that's not true. Trust is a choice. You choose to trust or you choose to not trust. Now, confidence is a feeling. The degree of confidence you have is a feeling that you have, but trust is a choice. And then on top of confidence being a feeling and trust being a choice, as people of faith, we also have faith was a gift from God. That God gives us faith, we choose trust, and we feel confidence. Are you with me on that? Let me say that one more time. That we are given faith, God gives us the gift of faith, we choose to trust, and we feel confidence. And so as we are living this Christian life, we are filled with faith, trying to trust and, and, and hoping for, for a little bit more confidence. And so we come to God, we're honest about how we feel. We, we complain to God, but we don't just complain. We ask and then we trust. And so what do I mean by trust? Do I mean that we just sit around and do nothing? Do I say, well, okay, I've asked, so now I'm just going to like do nothing. Well, not exactly. Because as people of faith... Doing nothing is doing something. Waiting is a form of worship. Trusting is a verb. It is a choice that we make and an action that we do. As Christians, we have what uh, historians have, have kind of called, uh, termed active patience, which means we're doing nothing on purpose. To which really, if you think about it, is, um, it's harder than doing something. Isn't that true? Because we are, we're like Americans, you know, we're individualistic and we're rugged and we scrap, you know, we pull it together and we figure it out. And so when things are going wrong, the easiest thing for us to do is to try to find our own solution or to quit. The hardest thing to do is nothing. And sometimes a lot of times, the way that we trust God is by not trying to jump in and to solve our own problems. I love the way that it was phrased in the book by the author. He says that we live with this belief of not yet, but eventually. Not yet, but eventually. This is what it means to be Christians. 
It's kind of fitting in this time of Advent that this is what Advent is at its core. It's this anticipation of not yet, but eventually. And for the people of the Bible or the people of the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah, this not yet, but eventually. But as people post Jesus, we are looking forward to his return, a not yet, but eventually. We live in a broken world. And so things are not yet as they should be, but eventually they will be. And so we have something that people who don't have faith lack. And that is this hope and this trust and this faith and eventually what will come. And I wonder this morning, what in your life is a not yet, but eventually? I wonder if we had the chance to talk and to get together and, and process what you're going through. I wonder what in your life is the tension between not yet, but eventually. But it's not that you've given up hope. It's not that you don't trust, but that there is this struggle because of the not yet. But eventually, I jotted down a few examples maybe um, for some of us in the room. Maybe it's a mental health thing. This, this chronic depression or anxiety or um, bipolar or um, any of these things that are a disease in our mind and our faith is in Jesus and we're not just having a bad day or a bad week. Like there is something mentally that is going on with us and we so desperately would like for God to just fix it and to solve it and to just, we don't want to feel broken. We don't want, we we don't want to feel this way. And so we desperately ask God, God fix this and maybe he will while we're here Maybe he won't, but he hasn't yet. And it's a not yet, but eventually, maybe, for you in that, in that area. Uh, maybe it's someone you've lost and seeing them again. I, you know, I don't know why life ebbs and flows this way, but I know for me the last few months, I have missed my mom who died 10 years ago more than ever before. And I don't know why it is in this season, but it is in this season. I've desperately wanted to take out my phone and call her and just ask her to come. And I would give her the bed that we sleep in, but she wouldn't take it and she'd sleep on the couch just to be there. And I've just desperately wanted that. I've been, I've been cooking more and I've wanted to call her like with recipes and stuff and ask her how she did the pot roast the way she did. And I just like, I've been just like thinking about these things and, and I know that I will see her again. I know that, but not yet. Eventually, yes, but not yet. And so when my heart hurts, it's not that I don't trust and it's not that I've lost faith. It's just not yet, but eventually. And maybe for you, that's what you've been experiencing too with someone that you love. I thought about maybe for some of us, like the salvation of a child, someone that you raised and you love and you've poured into and they are not following Jesus and they have drifted from God. Maybe they have drifted from you and there's not the relationship that you want and you are desperately crying out to God, but your heart is ripped open because these people that you love the most do not, do not have faith in Jesus Christ. And so you're living in this tension of it hasn't happened yet what you've been asking for, but you are trusting that eventually that it will. 
We could talk about loneliness. I jotted that down. Like you want companionship. You want someone, but it, you thought it would happen by now, but it hasn't. Freedom from struggle, not just mental health stuff, but like addictions and choices and substances and sins that are tripping us up. And we say, God, how long am I going to struggle with this? And, and you're still struggling, and, but you're trusting that eventually you won't. These are all examples of ways that we are trusting God even in the middle of our struggle and the tension of the not yet, but eventually. And if that's where you are, I I want just for a moment to encourage you that if you are still struggling with it, it means you still have faith. The very fact that you believe that something could change The very fact that you believe in love and goodness and justice and and miracles and healing and heaven is the reason that you are struggling. If you didn't have faith in God, if we were just, you you know, atoms and matter and we were just going to die and turn into dirt, why would we be upset? Like, this is just what happens, you know? I mean, coincidence, life, things brown. It's the the reason hurt is is because we believe, believe. The reason we doubt is because we believe. The reason we hope is because we believe. And if there's, there's something out of you that's, that's like, well, I, I would, if, I, if I was a better Christian, I wouldn't be, be struggling. No, you're, you're struggling because of, of what you know to be, be true about God, the reality of what you're dealing with at the, at the moment. Does that, make, does that make sense? Because we, we believe in God, that we cannot... We can't, can't rationalize why our kids are not with Jesus and why our loved ones are gone and why we can't be feel better, why, why we're still alone and why we, we can't overcome. It doesn't mean we're not trusting. We're just trusting in the middle of the struggle. And so um, what I do for, for just a few minutes that we have left is I, I want to I show you a very um, non-emotional, because we talked a lot about emotions. I want to show you a very non-emotional way to trust God. Because trust is a choice. Confidence is a feeling, but trust is a choice. Faith is a gift. And so we're, we want to trust God in the middle of what it is that we're feeling. And we want to we, we do that. And so I want to show you how David did it. And it's in Psalm 13. We've read this every week together because it is the model of a lament. Remember, the parts of a lament are turn to God, um, uh, complain to God, ask God, trust God. And we see that in this Psalm. Oh, Lord, verse 1, he's talking to God. He's turned to God. How long will you forget me? How long will you look? How long must I struggle? How long will the enemy have the upper hand? These are complaints to God. Then he asked, turn and answer me. Restore the sparkle in my eye. Don't let my enemies gloat. Don't let them rejoice. So now he's asking. But the last two verses, verses five and six, he, he shows how he's trusting God in three ways. And they don't have anything to do with feeling. They have everything to do with choosing. And I want to show them to you three, three statements that David makes that we can choose to make no matter how we're feeling. He says, I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you've rescued me and I will sing to the Lord because he's good to me. These are the three statements that he's made. And no matter what it is that you are feeling today, you can make these three same statements and choices. And so I just want to talk about each one of them real quick. Number one, David says, I trust in your unfailing love. Now remember at this time, David feels as if God has forgotten him. 
He feels like God's looking the other way. He feels anguish in his soul, sorrow in his heart, and feels like his enemies are winning. But yet at the same time, he says, I trust in your unfailing love. I'm choosing to trust. And this is the first statement, and it's the most important, because it is a recognition that regardless of what we experience or what troubles we have, God has already solved our greatest problem. That is the problem of our sin and our salvation and our eternity. And so we may not, you know, be able to understand why all these things are happening in our life, but we can trust that God loves us. And you say, well, how can I trust that? Because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We choose to trust God because God loved us enough to send Jesus. And there was an old saying when I was growing up in church that all the gospel preachers would always say, and I thought of it this week, it's so fitting. They would say, if he never does another thing for you, he's already done enough. Anybody grow up in a church where they would preach like that? They'd preach it. If he's ever done it, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's how they do it. And everybody, whoo, you know, just a little, mm, little pizzazz, little, little. But it's true. If God never answered another one of your prayers, if he didn't change any circumstances in your life from this point moving forward, if you never felt him close to you ever again, he's done more than we deserve because he sent Jesus Christ. And so this is the one that David starts with, and this is a good one to start with, that when you are feeling anger, sadness, and, and, and fear, and, and despair, and depression, and anxiety, and everything's spinning out of control, and outcomes are breaking down, you can start by choosing to trust in the unfailing love of God. God, I, I don't know a lot, but I know this. You sent Jesus because you love me. I don't know why I can't have a baby. I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why my, somebody I love died. I don't know why this is happening and this is happening. But I know that you love me because you sent Jesus. And so I can trust in your unfailing love. The second thing David says, the second choice that David makes is I will. Everybody say will. He doesn't say I feel like. He says I will choice, regardless of feeling, I will rejoice because you have rescued me. If I was going to oversimplify what it means to rejoice, I would say that it simply means to rejoy, just to rejoy, to joy again. It's the ability to find joy again in something that already brought you joy before. Rejoy, regifting. You know, some of y'all are regifters. It's like (laughs) It's wrapping up whatever it is that has brought you joy so that you can open it again, right? Finding joy again in your salvation or in your family or in your health. You are rejoying. And there's a lot of ways that you could do this. We're going to talk about one specifically in just a moment. But there's a lot of ways you can do this. But I think one of the best ways is really just to count your blessings. Like literally get out a pen and a piece of paper and just write down every blessing in your life that you can think of. And you know what's going to happen as you look at that list? Rejoy. Joy again. Maybe you would just finish the statement that David used. I will rejoice because why? I'm choosing to rejoice because why? Because why? 
you could fill that in. You could say it out loud. David chooses in this particular statement to rejoice because he's thinking again about being rescued. Now, what's interesting is that David is kind of being prophetic. He's kind of looking to the future because, because Jesus hadn't come yet. But for those of us who are post-life resurrection of Jesus, he is saying that like, if everything in your life has broken down and you don't have any reason to have any joy, you could rejoice in being rescued. If nothing else, your heart could find joy again that Jesus Christ has saved you from death, hell, and the grave. And we're trusting in that. But the last one, he says, I will. Everybody say will. He doesn't say I feel like. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he's good to me. This is so practical but often missed. One of the best ways to reinforce your trust in God is to sing. Christians have been singing together since the book of Genesis. I mean, really Exodus, but we can probably go back to Genesis a little bit. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, Christians have been singing together. Not just the singers, but everybody. And not just the good singers. Come on, how many people are glad it's not just the good singers who get to sing? That the Bible says make a joyful noise. Come on. Right? You ever, you ever sit by the person in church who's showing off? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just like... We got it, buddy. Dial it back a little bit. Like, the, the, like, you didn't even got to be pretty. There's something that happens to your soul when you sing about God. And so, really practical here. David says, I feel like God's forgotten me. God's looking the other way. I'm struggling in my soul. I'm sorrowful and my enemies are winning. I'm going to, I'm making the choice to sing about how good God is. Because when you sing about how good God is, you begin to believe and trust that God is good again. And I believe this is something you got to be in the room to do. Not that we can't sing anytime, but our family never figured out how to do the singing thing at home church. Like we just, we tried, you know, like the 16 weeks we were quarantined, we'd turn on online church. And I know a lot of you are watching today and the sermon, the sermon we got, like the sermon we could watch and we could get, but like the worship and the singing and the kids running around and breaking stuff. And, you know, like we're in the recliner, but then the coffee, but then the breakfast, you know, it's like worship and pancakes. Like we were not ever really able to get it going. And maybe some people have, I don't know, but there's something about being in the room together with your brothers and sisters. And I don't even, I'm talking to the camera right now, like I'm preaching to the choir here, but I know some of you guys are home right now watching this and you are doing everything that you can do to be a part of this service. I would just encourage you to get back in the room, not for me, for you, because there's something that happens when together as brothers and sisters, we start singing, you are good, good. Oh, because like tornadoes have just come through town and, and, and people are dying and COVID and cancer and losing jobs and inflation and, you know, politics, all this stuff. It's like, we just, we're just singing together. And listen, you can be in your car by yourself singing you're good and now it's good for your soul. But man, when you're locking arms together and singing together with your brothers and sisters, in just a second, Kaylee's going to sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. And we're going to sing that together. 
Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. And there's something that happens, like maybe in that moment, you're not totally able to be there. Like you're not able in your soul to totally be like, yes, I'm claiming that. But there's some encouragement that happens when beside you and around you and behind you and in front of you, people are singing those words together. How I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Then, then Kaylee's going to move to the next song. I'm just giving you a heads up. She's going to sing, Jesus, I will trust you. I will trust you. Jesus, I will trust you, Jesus. And the bridge, I love the bridge. Now everything I know, the only thing I know is, God, you're in control. In every little detail, you are close. I love that, that together we sing together and something happens in our soul. And so, man, I want to encourage all the mental singers in the room. Like, you just keep it up here. I want to encourage you to open your mouth. Open your mouth and sing to God. Because something happens when you sing about God's goodness and how good God is. You begin to believe it. And, and, and a lot of it's on like a subconscious kind of thing. Like it's not like, I mean, I, all the analytical people in the room, like we're really like dissecting the lyrics and I get that. But for most of us, like we're not, it's like whatever, like the beat's good, you know? And we're just like, and there's something that's happening like spiritually and supernaturally and miraculously in our soul. And we walk out these doors not just getting information about God, but, but congregationally receiving something in our soul from the worship. And worship's a lot more than singing, but part of it's singing. And so, man, I'm just encouraging you to open your mouth and sing. No matter how bad it is, <laughs> just sing. And see if you don't begin to gain more confidence. Trust is a choice, but confidence is a feeling. And the more we worship God, the more confidence we seem to gain in him. So we choose to trust in his unfailing love. We choose to rejoice because he's rescued us. We choose to sing. These are choices that we make. And I want to end by reading you... um, in the very first chapter of the book, if you've read the book or listened to it, you, you remember this story, a powerful story the author, Mark Verigop, shares that he had uh, brought his staff together. He's a pastor of a church, and they were learning to lament and, together. And he asked each of them to write their own lament and to pray their own lament. And so they were at a retreat together, and he, they were in a circle praying, and he put a chair in the middle of the room, and he asked people to come forward and to pray out loud their lament. And there was a couple on staff that was unable to have children. They'd been praying to be able to conceive, and they just were unable to have children. And they had written their lament, and they came, and they sat in the center of the circle, and they began to pray and lament. And this is what they said, and I want to read this to you. This couple said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you withhold the blessing of a child from us? 
How long will we cry to you? How many more days, months, or years will pass with our arms remaining empty? How much longer will we struggle to rejoice with those who rejoice while we sit weeping? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Thank you, Father. Amen. And I read that to you because I just want you to hear. We've read in the Psalms, but I want you to hear from just a person, just a human being who was able to articulate what felt wrong, what they needed, and how they trusted God. And I've been telling you each week that at the end of the series, I was going to ask you and challenge you to write your own lament. And so today, instead of a congregational prayer on the back of your worship guide, we have given you some instructions, a template to help you write a lament. If you want to grab that worship guide, just really quickly, I want to walk you through this. We want you to use the four parts, the, the turning to God, the complaining, the asking, and the trusting to write your lament. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's for you. Now, I, I, do, I would like to say to you, I would love to read your lament if you would be so gracious to allow me to do that, but you don't have to share this with anybody. But if you would be willing to share it with me, I would love to hear it. And you can just email it to me at jason at realhopenow.com. It's just jason at the website, realhopenow.com. Um, I would love to read that, but you, by no means do you have to do that. This is for you. You can use this or you can write it on your own piece of paper. But we just want to write what comes to heart and mind about, about what we're feeling. And so, oh Lord, I feel, you can just finish that as long as you want. Then write out your complaints to God using why and how long. The things you're wrestling with, write out why and how long. I gave you a couple of examples there. And then after you're done complaining, and listen, you can complain as long as you want. But at some point, then we want to transition and ask God. And so I want you to write down what it is you want him to do for you, to help you show up, give it back, defend, respond, change things. And then at the end, we're going to choose to trust. We're asking God for the grace to trust him more. And so I just took the words from David from Psalm 13 and wrote them down. But you do not have to be limited to those. If you want to continue to, to, to write reasons why you're trusting God, you can do that. But we just ended by saying, I will choose to trust you, O Lord. I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you've saved me. I'll sing to the Lord because he's good to me. And I want to really challenge you. Maybe even during these next two songs, you want to just go ahead and do it right now. Because you're like, if I leave, it, it'll get lost in the floorboard of the car. I don't know, you know. But you want to just do it now. Others of you, you're going to wait until you're alone, and that's fine. However, and whenever you want to do this, I would encourage you to do that. But just be honest with God. But don't stop at complaining. Let's go from complaint to confidence. And make the choice to trust God and ask him for more confidence and grace and more faith to continue to trust him. So I'm going to pray for us, and then Kaylee's going to come. Um, you can just stay seated. She's going to sing this Tis So Sweet and, and, and just a chance for us to kind of soak it in and then she'll give us some instructions. But um, let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus. The, the one thing that we can hold on to when nothing else feels sturdy or stable is your son, the life, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross.
And so, God, I just thank you that uh, we never have to doubt your unfailing love because you sent Jesus Christ to solve the problem of our sin and salvation and eternity. God, I pray that Hope City Church would be a place where we can have permission and a vocabulary for what we're feeling and facing and processing. We don't have to be ashamed or afraid to talk about it. I pray, God, that this could be a place for hurting people to hurt, where we can sit together in that, not feel the need to rush or hurry what we feel as human beings. And God, I pray for the grace to trust you more when, faith, when life it feels like everything is working against us, God. That we would choose to trust you, choose to rejoice again, and choose to sing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.